Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Sandy Clark, who had a near-death experience due to being shot, which we're going to learn about today. Sandy, thank you for joining me and welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. I don't know how much um, um, I can throw onto the near-death experience because it was brief, but it was it, it stays with me and resonates with me every day. All right. Well, let's start with a little backstory and go from there. Okay. Um, I was married a second time uh, for 10 years to a man who was, uh, I know now, was emotionally and verbally abusive. So uh, we were in the throes of a divorce. And it was New Year's Eve. And I knew that my children, I had two children from a first marriage, and he had three from his first marriage. And all the kids were out at parties and sleeping over at their friends. So I decided I wasn't going to be home when he was there. I didn't want to be in the house by myself. So I went out and I came back on New Year's Day, January 1st. And um, he was there. The kids were home. And he wanted to have a conversation about having a reconciliation because I was going to divorce him. And I said, no, I am going to sleep. So I went upstairs. The kids were... Uh, all doing things on their own. And my daughter, one daughter had a friend over and um, they were keeping busy and I went to bed. He came in and, to my room and wanted to have a conversation with me, which turned into an argument. He wanted me to have a reconciliation. And again, I said, no. So he left. Before I knew it, I went back to sleep and then I heard something and he was standing beside me, uh, maybe a foot away from me and said, you're not gonna leave me a fucking bitch, I'm going to kill you. And I looked up and saw a rifle pointed at my head and he shot me through the head. And it was at that point that I had the out of body experience. I was in such a peaceful place, quiet, peaceful. And I was looking down at myself on the bed and saying to myself, well, you know, you're never going to make it. So just keep walking. And I turned, I was like in a tunnel, quiet, light. And my grandmother was standing at the end of the tunnel. I looked back down again and thought, no, there's no way I can survive this. And I kept walking and I was at peace, uh, absolutely peace. And then I heard my daughter's voice. Did you hit my mother? No, I shot and killed her. I was able to turn and she came into the room, saw the rifle lying on the edge of the bed and ran out. And it was at that moment that I was literally, I can't say I remember even going back into my body, but I was catapulted. That's the only word I can say. I was catapulted off the bed and I walked down the hall and down two flights of stairs where my daughter was calling 911 in the kitchen Apparently, he had gone out to start his car and came back for his briefcase and saw me standing there. 
and he knew he only had one bullet, so he chose the next, next best weapon, which was a butcher knife. And he, I felt it in my back. I turned around. I saw the blade. I kept saying to myself, I used to be a, uh, own a hair salon. I kept saying to myself, well, you need to go to work. So it, this is all crazy. It, I mean, it sounds so crazy. I've been shot, and now I'm, I'm logically thinking, don't put your hands near the blade. You're going to have to work. And I started backing out the kitchen door. And at that point, his 15-year-old son came and pushed his father, grabbed the knife, threw it, and actually came back and got all the rest of the knives in the drawer and took it the other side of the house by the pool. And I somehow walked to the neighbor's house waiting for an ambulance. That, that, that's it. Like, I mean, I wish I could give you... I wish I could give you more on the afterlife, but I can't. It was just so brief, but so amazingly peaceful that I was not afraid of anything. It, it, it was remarkable. Sandy, thank you for sharing your experience with us. When you saw your grandmother, what age did she appear to be? She was at the age like when she died. Like she was, She was the grandmother that would... Um, when she babysit would, and I'd do something like I was a crazy kid. She would chase me through the house with a wire hanger. She was hilarious, but she'd never catch me. Uh, so she was the same. She was the same as she passed. And she ended up in a nursing home, I think for three years and couldn't even get out of bed, but I would go and visit her regularly. So yeah, it was, she was the same age. Did she say anything to you? Not a thing. No, it was just the briefest, you know, I, I wish my daughter hadn't come said anything sooner, but had she not, I would probably would be dead. After you were shot, was it instantaneous that you were awake into the tunnel or was there some time delay? No, it was instant. I was shot and like floating, looking down at myself, then seeing the light in the tunnel and my grandmother there and no it was instant it was there was nothing in between did you feel the pain of the shot nothing no i didn't even feel the no you don't you don't feel any pain i think your body just goes right totally into shock so no pain and uh, no pain with the knife either i mean i, I mean the knife took it was a violent attack. I mean, the knife tip broke off inside me. It hit one of my bones, my spine, I think. You did look back and see your body laying there, and it was obviously bloody and injured, right? Oh, totally. My face was like half gone and blood everywhere. Oh, I knew. I said to myself, there's no point in going back there because you're never going to make it. And as soon as I heard my daughter's voice, that was, the, that was instantaneous. I was gone. I was back. And, and really catapulted off the bed. I wasn't like struggling to get out. I, I don't know how I managed it to walk th as far as I did. It's fascinating because a lot of times near-death experiencers, when they remember a family member, it's instantaneously that they go back to their body, which again really? happened. Yeah, which again happened to you. Interesting. Would you say that before... Your daughter called out your name. Had you forgotten about her? Oh, I was just focused on myself. Mm -hmm. Nothing else. I didn't think of anything. I didn't even think about, 
oh, he shot me or, oh, he, I didn't think of anything. All I thought was, you're not going to make it. There's no way you can go back there because you're not going to make it. I mean, the injuries are too serious. After your NDE over the years, have you thought about that? What your purpose is here and was it meant to be that you're still here? Well, the, I haven't thought about it. You asked the question. I, after I had it, I, I, of course, I was a victim of the criminal justice system. That's what I call myself because the criminal justice system isn't there to help victims. Let me tell you, nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody wants to get in touch with you. I'm in the hospital. I'm calling the Crown Attorney's Office and I'm demanding that somebody come to the hospital to see me. No, just stay where you are. I mean, the, the things back and forth that we went through court, I mean, it was unfathomable that I would not be getting help, that I had to go out there and look for it. So I, I guess my anger and behind anger for me is anger to me means fear, pain and powerlessness. And I was powerless when it came to the criminal justice system. So I became a, a victim's advocate. And then I enrolled at the University of Windsor and um, earned a, an honors degree in criminology and graduated with the President's Medal. That's great. Yeah, thank you. And so I just worked tirelessly for victims. Uh, of, I had a, a support group very shortly after I got out of the hospital. Uh, for crime victims because they don't get any support. They don't get the help that they need. You're just expected to come to court when it's time for the trial. Well, that wasn't happening with me, let me tell you. After your NDE, did you notice that you had any new abilities that you didn't have prior? Well, that's interesting. Maybe I always had the abilities I have, but I never put them into use. I never knew that I was as strong as I, I am, as vocal as I can be, as a pain in the butt to most people in government. Uh, but that was the only way I could get anything done was to just keep advocating and being a thorn in the side of many politicians, many people in justice. Uh, that's, you know, what are you gonna do? But, and, and even, you know, uh, if you have power and you have money, which I didn't, but he did, um, and he was very politically connected at the time, uh, his first cousin was the treasurer of Ontario, of the province of Ontario. And at one time, his uncle was the premier. So it is like, uh, I mean, any case in the States that you've seen, you've got power and money, you're gonna get off. So he, we went to trial and he was not convicted of uh, attempted murder, but he was convicted of aggravated assault and uh, the indictable weapons charge. So he could have had 14 years for the first charge and 14 years for the indictable weapons charge. He got three and they knew they better give three because that's a federal offense. If it was two years less a day, it would just be provincial. So it wouldn't be like hardcore prison. So, but he was, uh, I, nobody was going to do an appeal. The Crown told me that. So I stood on the street corner of the main street of Windsor with letters. And I had a black eye patch that I wore at the time. And I handed out letters asking letters, letters to be written to the 
Attorney General of Canada for an appeal and it was granted. And of course we won the appeal, but the Crown only asked for seven years in the first place. So that's what he got, but you know what? He did 18 months and he was out free and clear. That's wow. power and money for you. Wow. So I think my purpose was to uh, continue with my advocacy work, meeting up with women, especially domestic violence, giving presentations, being a motivational speaker, trying to make change to show people and women or men that you have you have the strength and the capacity to make change, not only in your life, but in the lives of others, if you so desire. Now, you said that the memory of this has not faded, right? The memory of my near-death experience? Mm-hmm. No, it's just as clear as anything. It, it's always just there, but it's so brief for me. So, you know, when you asked me if I do this podcast, I thought, well, uh, yeah, I'd love, love to do it, but I don't really have that much, you know, insight to give because it was just so very, very brief. But what you told me about seeing um, one of your relatives and those people always going back is very fascinating to me. This, like, I have never really looked into near-death experiences until I saw it the other day uh, online. And then I thought, maybe I should be delving more into this. Do you fear death at all anymore? Never. Never. And I've, you know, I, I'm not going to be buried. I'm, I guess I'm going to be cremated is, you know, what else are you going to do with, I, I just want to be thrown to the wind and no, I don't, I don't fear it at all. Not, not in the least. And even though seeing my grandmother there at that age, maybe that, maybe she appeared at that age so that I would recognize her. Is that how we die? Or do we, you know, am I going to, if I die tomorrow, am I going to look like this forever? God forbid. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, and I haven't really looked into near-death experiences very much until I saw this website. And then, it, it, then you, you asked if I'd like to do a podcast. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be much help for the near-death experience because it was so brief. When you were over there, was it dreamlike or was it more real than here? Well, I didn't see anything except like this tunnel with a light at the end of it with her standing kind of in a doorway kind of thing and me walking towards it. And I was, so there was nothing really, it was just very peaceful and si dead silence. So, yeah, I, so I, I wish I could help you more with it. I wish I, yeah, I wish it had gone on longer, but that wasn't to be, or I probably would not have made it. After your NDE, did you change religiously or spiritually in any way? No, I, I'm not a, a churchgoer. Um, I don't sit and read the Bible all day. I, I wonder about the Bible. I wonder how that really got written. And I have, you know, I don't read the Bible. I don't. I don't get into it, but I've always been a very spiritual person. I always have believed that there's life after death. My religion or whatever, no, I, I believe being a good person and doing the right thing. And if you see something that's wrong, you, you try to change it or 
report it or do something about it, but you don't just ignore. And so I guess maybe I, I guess if I look back, maybe I was always an advocate because I remember in school always taking up for the underdog. I mean, I was a skinny little kid, but I was, you know, not quiet or maybe this was supposed to happen. Um, and then maybe I was supposed to do this all, meant to do this all my life because I have changed lives. I've, I still do the same thing when I'm in Mexico. I sat at a coffee shop one morning and I heard this young woman from another country talking to this older Mexican man who turned out to be a professor. And I, I heard the whole story. She was going to go back. He's trying to, she's going back to an abusive relationship in her country. And he couldn't convince her. And uh, my partner left from coffee. I said, I'll see you later. And he left and I went over and I said, here's my card. Here's my story in three minutes. And um, please send me an email. And she did. We got together and she got out of that relationship. And I do that all the time. I don't care. I'm not quiet. Uh, I butt in. I don't care. I'm going to make a difference. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. Not quiet. <laughs> Is there anything about your NDE that you find to be inspiring well, the inspirational part is to know, to have, you know, I always believed in life after death, is to have experienced that with my grandmother. So to confirm for me my belief. So I, I mean, it was just so brief as I sit here talking about it. And I really have never talked about it. You know, people know about it and we don't get into any in-depth conversation because it was so, such a short period of time. But I w wished it had been longer. It was peaceful. I'll tell you that. When you were first over on the other side, was there any thought going through your head like, oh, wow, I guess we do go on, you know, that no. this is the end? No, I was too busy looking at myself on the bed saying, no, you can't go back. You'll never make it. And looking at my grandmother and taking steps towards her. No, there was no other thought. It was just what, what was going on with me at that moment. If you had a friend that was grieving over the loss of a loved one, what kind of advice would you give your friend? Well, that's really interesting because people tell, when people die, I, I've seen it happen so many times. Oh, give it time. You'll get over it. You don't get over something like that. You know, you can go to a, I, I hate going to funerals. I just, I don't get a funeral. But anyway, I, you know, you just have to support that person. I don't know. That's, that's a tough question. Like, I wish the near-death experience had gone on and on. And I would love to hear other people's accounts of theirs, you know, and how long it lasted. And But had I continued on, I would not be here if I hadn't made that split decision to when I heard my daughter's voice. So are you? If I hadn't heard a voice, I'm sure I'd be dead. So are you saying that you made that decision to come back when you heard her voice, or it just happened for you? Well, I think I made the decision, like in my mind, anyway. Maybe not, but as soon as I heard her voice, I said, "Oh, that's it. I have to go back. I forgot. There's kids. There's kids." So it was at that very moment that I was out of that tunnel, and like catapulted off the bed. That that was like. There was no hesitation for me. 
Did you feel like there was some sort of invisible line in the tunnel that if you crossed it, you couldn't come back? No, I didn't think anything like that. No, at the time. It, that's very possible. That's a big possibility. I, I would say the only, I would say I would not be here without my kids being home that night and hearing my daughter's voice. There's no way. I think I would still have been walking towards my grandmother and that would have been it. There could have been that line that you talk about. I don't know. If your injuries were left untreated, in what amount of time do you think your body would have died? Oh, oh this was pretty urgent. Yeah, like I was in surgery. Well, I was, I lived in a small town outside of Windsor, Ontario. I lived in Leamington. So they took me to that hospital. I'm not sure what they did. Stabilized me, did whatever, and then rushed me to Windsor for immediate surgery. Um, it, it wouldn't have been long. Not, my, my wounds, I was, well, the bullet through the head and into the brain. And then the stabbing was, I mean, I everything was my stomach my everything was ripped open um, my lung was collapsed because he stabbed me through the back as well yeah I, I i had 34 separate internal injuries i wouldn't have i wouldn't have made it without without help immediately and stabilization and getting to the hospital in windsor All right. and since then i've had oh i I can't even tell you how many surgeries, 34, I think. Yeah. You mentioned that you wish that it would have lasted longer. Is it because you felt amazing over there or an enormous amount of peace. love? It was absolute peace. You, I, there was no, I had no fear, no, no feelings of anything except just peacefulness, love, like acceptance, everything. Like, it would have been okay if I kept walking. It wouldn't have, you know, it wasn't this mad decision for me to make. Oh, I should go back. I should do that. No, no. I would have stayed right where I was, ex except for hearing my daughter's voice. Before so, you... Uh, and, and, and I think I heard her voice because I wasn't meant to cross over. I was meant to go back. Before... I was meant to go back. And I was meant to do the work I did for 25 years. I really believe that. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? Sure. You mean by writing? Emailing you or I guess on instant messenger or Facebook messenger? Um, yeah, instant messenger, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message? never give up. I mean, I never give up with anything. I mean, I was always a, a, you know, a pretty strong kid and had my own opinions and did what I wanted to do. But, uh, you know, everybody has doubts in their minds. Am I good enough? Am I, you're always good enough and you're always strong enough and you always must believe in yourself. Sandy, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. Well, thanks very much, Jeff, and it was very nice meeting you. Likewise. Okay, take care. You too. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.